And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of Laz and Powers is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield APY on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. It's not about me. I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello and welcome to another Laz and Powers podcast. I'm Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, joined by my colleague Scott Powers. And man, for the first time in I don't know how long, we've written consecutive, upbeat, optimistic stories about the Blackhawks. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, Scott. Is it is they've won five in a row? They got Joel Quenville's return tomorrow. They're going to be amped up for that. Uh, they got a lot of momentum going into this All Star break. Uh, what do you think? Is this mirage or are we seeing something real? I, I don't know. I, it's uh, they've certainly made everything a little bit more realistic. Um, you know, I, I tend to think the schedules benefited them, but you know, the schedule doesn't get a whole lot harder the rest of the way either. Um, they they are playing better hockey, and I, I mentioned it last night in the story about how I felt like when they were winning last season, like we saw a bit of a mirage where the power play was, you know, uh, kind of carrying them, and the underlying stats were all all just unrealistic. 
and now they're playing some good hockey. You know, like the the numbers are adding up. They're they're still getting good goaltending, but you, all of a sudden you're getting some depth, depth scoring, and uh, you got a top line that's legit. You know, Sod's back. You, you're getting guys healthy. Um, you know, your third pairing has, has been a positive, and I, I don't know. You, you cross off a lot of boxes, and to add up, to this team's playing well, and um, certainly playing the Senators and Red Wings and uh, these teams help. But you know, they're beating these teams as they're supposed to and and now to beat the Jets who are right you know they were right ahead of them in the standings and to win at the United Center where they've struggled and I don't know yeah I, I think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic where uh you know the record still points to them you know having to win you know a, a little bit well over 500 the rest of the way to to make the playoffs but um their odds and and you see that in Dom's model too where you know they've gone from like eight nine percent to, to 36 36 percent today so um, yeah, there, there are a lot of reasons to believe the Blackhawks are at least heading in the right direction. Yeah, you know, it's funny. All year we've been talking about, well, if they could just play like decent, they would win a lot of games because of their goaltending. And that's exactly what's happening. You get these 15 games, these last 15 games where they've gone 11 and 4. Uh, their numbers are fine. They've got like a 50% Corsi. They got an XG uh, percentage of like 47%. So they're playing like adequate, decent hockey, which is a big step up from what they were playing earlier in the year. And with the goaltending they have, which is proving to you know be a consistent factor, it's not fluky that they have the save percentage they do, adequate hockey, really good penalty killing, which we haven't really talked enough about. It's a top five PK now in the league, plus great goaltending. You're going to win games. And, and here's the biggest thing. Last year, through 50 games, the Blackhawks were 17-24-9, and, and they touched a playoff spot for 45 glorious minutes one day in late February in Detroit. They are, what, four games over 500 right now, uh, points percentage-wise? Mm-hmm. They're far ahead of where they were last year. So they don't, you know, they've shown that they can put together the kind of run they need, and it doesn't even need to be as ridiculous as last year's run. This five-game win streak, this 11-4 and four run, has put them in position where they have every bit as good a chance as, you know, the Nashvilles and Vegases and all these teams they're fighting with for spots. Yeah, and, and I think it's going to come down to the Pacific. You know, I, I think Nashville has a chance because they, they fired the coach and there's some skill there. But I, I look at those teams just ahead of them in the Pacific where it's uh, – those are the teams to beat, you know, and um, those are the guys they're going to have to chase. I, I, I think they're a better team than the Jets, you know. I, you know, just talking to people even last night about the Jets, uh, you know, they feel like they've been propped up often by, by their goaltending and they haven't been getting that as much lately and – you know, I, I think, you know, we've seen the Blackhawks you know, as, as bad as that Ottawa game started, you know, them going down 2 nothing. Um, they, they've been well above, you know, the Detroits and the Ottawas. And um, it's just whether can they compete with that, that, a tear, that tear above them. And, and, and we've seen them struggle sometimes with speed and, and quickness. And um, But, yeah, I don't know. Just, it, it does feel like a different team. You know, the fact that Kubalik and Taves are rolling like that, you know, Saad's back and, um, I think you know he compliments Kane as you've written about and written about before, and the fact you know I, I think Carpenter may be a good fit with there if if you get two star wingers. Um, and Nylander scores yesterday. You know Zach Smith scored twice um, in in that Montreal game, and uh, you know Highmore. Those guys are contributing, and um, you know Keith and Boquist have actually been drowning a little bit in. Uh, possession the last I think two or three games but um, haven't been on the ice for a lot of goals against and um, you know the, the fact that Crawford even emerged when Leonard was hurt you know like, like Crawford was having a, a tough stretch there and, and they had decided to go with Leonard um, you know give him consecutive starts and, and, and part of it was because Crawford wasn't you know playing at that same level and the fact that he emerged and and kind of you know righted the ship for a little bit was big too so um, and, and that penalty kill you know I, that penalty kill last year was I, I think it was 
among the top five or ten worst ever in the NHL since they've been keeping the statistics. It, it, it was, you know, just historically bad, and they addressed that. They got Carpenter. They got Mata. Um, Cuckoo's been pretty good on it. And then um, Camp and Saad and, and, and Kane, yeah, Taves and those types of guys are still contributing. Um, so, yeah, I, that penalty queue has been, been massive. I mean, last night Leonard had a lot to do with them killing off that four-minute penalty against the Jets, but it's um, that, that's been a huge reason. You know, I, I think with a good penalty kill last year that they, you know, maybe they have a shot at the playoffs, and this year uh, they put it together and have one of the league's top ones, and it, it's certainly been a reason why they've been in a lot of these games. Yeah, we've talked uh, we've talked a lot about Patrick Kane, obviously. He hit his 1,000 points last night, and he's been great this year as always. And Dominic Kubalik, man, in Toronto, everyone was fascinated by the idea of this. Who's this Kubalik guy? And I kept getting, and they were they were hoarding around, the, and then he goes and scores two goals in Toronto on Hockey Night in Canada. I mean, people are starting to know who he is. Since the start of December, he's second in the league in goals scored. Only Austin Matthews has more goals than Dominic Kubalik does with 15. But the thing we're not talking about enough is Jonathan Taves right now. For for the better part of a decade. You know, when Taves is going, the Blackhawks are going. He's he's the barometer. When you know, me and Tracy Myers used to talk about every morning skate when Jonathan Taves was in a good mood after a morning skate, the Blackhawks were gonna win that night. And that was during their heyday, obviously. But Taves really is the guy who makes everything go. And when he's playing the way he's playing now, and he's been phenomenal. He's got since again, since the start of December, only Artemi Panarin and Jonathan Huberdeau have more points than he does. He's got ten goals and twenty assists in twenty four games since the start of December. Remember how bad he started. He's now on pace for his third highest point total of his career. He is playing phenomenal, and when he's going like that, everything changes because then you got two or you got a, a second real scoring line beyond Kane's line. You've got you know uh, opponents having to pick their poison on who to match up against. You've got that energy and that excitement and that intensity he brings. And when he's just playing like a man possessed, like he has been, I mean, he's got uh, was it five three point games or more in the last. Uh, 20 games, that's insane. Like He's never been known as like a high-end offensive player, but he's always been able to do this in spurts. This is more than a spurt now. This is seven or eight weeks he's been doing this. When he's going, the Blackhawks go. And I don't think you know he gets enough credit for just how important he is. It's, it's odd to say that Jonathan Taves doesn't get enough credit, but we're not really talking about just how good he's been, really, since the start of December. Well, I, I think this has a lot to do with Kubalik, too. I, I, I think that him being on that line has been... Uh, if you go back to it, it's where, where Taves really got ignited. It was, uh, I don't know, early in the season, you know, it, it, you saw what Kubali could do on the camp line, and, and Taves played with Nylander, and um, I, I think there was uh, was Saad for a bit, and it was guys that they were fine, you know, and, and they had their moments, but they, they weren't driving possession, and um, yeah, I don't know, it, it seems like Kubalik sparked Taves, you know, like he's given him an option, and, and Kubalik's been freed for some of his breakaways with Taves' passes, and, uh, you know, I think they're a little bit more, you know, Taves has been pretty good on the forward check, and it's just, it's creating opportunities off of that, too, and to have someone on the line who's driving possession and, and converting those chances, I mean, that, that goal in Toronto was just, it was ridiculous, you know, it was, um, I think that Taves plays well with good players. He he, not that he needs to be supported by them, but you know, it's not like he drives it as much as someone like Kane does. Where I, I think having those line mates makes him makes him better. And, and I don't know, you know, and we and we it's something we certainly talked about for so, for so long that you know, put put called you know, put Kubelik on that top line and and called and was apprehensive about it. And um, I mean, it's crazy to think again that like Kubelik was a healthy scratch at a couple of times this season. But yeah. um, it, it's it seems like that when when Taze, when he got those right line mates, it, it it brought more out of him, and it, it certainly brought a lot more out of this team too. Yeah, I, I mean, we're at a point now where. 
I think what the Blackhawks are doing now is relatively sustainable. The penalty kill is going to be good. They've got a really good PK. And we've seen in years past that a good PK is more important than having a good power play. The, the Hawks won Stanley Cups that way. This team isn't quite built that way. They need the power play. They have one of the worst power plays in the league. And you look at those stats I was just talking about. In those two months, Jonathan Taves has no power play goals. Uh, Patrick Kane has two power play goals in the last two months. It's just unacceptable how bad they're doing on the power play. And if they could just get that up to, an uh, again, an adequate level with the goaltending they have, with the PK they have, if they can get the power play to an adequate level, you know, 18 20%, then they're going to be in really good shape going forward. They've already played the hardest part of their schedule. If they can just get a little bit better, then this becomes less of a pipe dream and more of a, well, they can get into the playoffs. And if you look around the, the Western Conference, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but nobody's terrifying you there. There's no Bostons or Pittsburghs or Tampas out there. Uh, it's, it's an interesting proposition to see how things can change so quickly with one hot streak. They kept saying, all the guys kept saying, just win two out of three, just win two out of three. No, you need to win five or six or seven in a row, and that's what they've done, and now here they are. I think the next hurdle for for Colleton is to put Kubelik on that, that top power play unit. I mean, he's he's arguably your hottest uh, hottest offensive player, um, and, you know, I asked about it, asked him about it in Montreal, and, you know, you said it was kind of the hand in this thing and, you know, just the fit, and they liked him better on that second unit, but... Uh, I mean, if your best offensive player uh, outside of Kane is, is is putting up numbers like that, you find a spot for him, you know. As much as Kirby Doc makes some sense in what he does on a power play unit, he's not producing, you know. Like, he's uh, he had an assist last night, but, he, you know, consistently he's not putting up the, those type of numbers, and, and Kubelik is, and I, I think you find a spot for him, even if it's uh, maybe even dropping Debrinkert or something. You know, obviously Debrinkert isn't, uh, isn't the – doing what he did last season some of the chances are there but he's just not capitalizing and at some point you have to go with the hot hand and um like you said the power play is such a, a variable too i mean if you had both sides of your special teams rolling it, it gives you another element and and certainly gives you a better chance to win um yeah i'm curious about uh, you know I, I, whenever we've seen them play some of those elite teams you know uh, you know blues took it to them pretty good and and not that Nashville is elite but on on paper they are and um, Colorado took it to the Hawks too, so I, I know they get some of those teams. Uh, at least they, I know they get, they play in St. Louis in February. Um, you know there'll be some games after the break where uh, some more of a barometer too. You know, I, you know Arizona coming out of the break will be really interesting. A team that they may have to compete that wild card spot for, and um, and, and certainly it, it, tomorrow's game will be interesting. And um, the Panthers aren't world beaters, but it, there's going to be a lot of emotion, and um, I, I think both coaches uh, will want to win that game and. I, I thought Colleton, um, you know, as much as people criticize Colleton, he's uh, he's been very respectful of, of Joel Quinville and, and mentioned last night that you know coming to the Blackhawks and you know when when he when he signed to be become Rockford coach, um, it was it was because of Joel Quinville and, and wanting to learn from him. So um, I think tomorrow's gonna be a really electric game, and um, I think some fans will make it want it to be Colleton versus Quinville, but. Um, you know, to, to Colton's credit, the Blackhawks are probably playing the best they have under him, and this is the first time they're four games under 500 um, under him. And there are a lot of positives right now for Colton, where I'm sure this makes game, tomorrow's game a little bit easier for him as well, and not having to hear those boos or anything. Absolutely, I think that makes a big difference in that he's not going to hear those boos because the team is playing well. Um, what, what's your take on, on on having 10 days off? Let's say they do win tomorrow. Let's say they they take a six game win streak. Is this a good time for the break or just the absolute worst time for the break? Yeah, probably the absolute worst, right? Like it's you're rolling, you're feeling good. Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess you 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 also probably don't want to be having a break when you're playing bad, so it's hard to say. Right, I, I, I feel like, I feel like you go into these vacations, they're all going to Mexico feeling good about themselves. I think that can carry you through that second half of the season a little bit. I'm I'm kind of torn on the rest versus rust and the you know it, does momentum really exist? But it's hard to argue momentum doesn't exist when you see just how upbeat this room is all of a sudden after months of frustration. You know, I think it's it's hard because it's the Ulster break. Ideally, you have the Ulster break and you have a little bit of break, and then you probably want the bye week somewhere else just so that you can, uh, you know, spread out the rest a little bit. Um, but um, you know, you know, the fact that it comes now and then you have what thirty, you have what thirty one games left, and you know, the guys are rested. You get Strom ready to go. Um, yeah, and and I, I guess the, I mean this these next few weeks, so it's going to be a time for Stan Bowman to decide what he's going to do, what uh, how he's going to utilize his cap space. I'd, I'd still be surprised if he doesn't tap into it in some way, whether it's bringing on uh, uh, you know assets or, or you know bringing on just bad assets, you know not bringing on bad assets, but bringing on a bad contract, to allow him to get a decent asset. I, I think there's a way he can tap into that regardless and still keep going what they're you know keep what they're doing and even improve what they, they're doing if he decides to either make a hockey trade or or um or, or go after a little bit and, and make a little bit more uh you know get it more of a rental but i'd be surprised if he doesn't make a trade you know i was talking to someone yesterday um a league source and he, and he said that the uh there's been as much talk as he's seen in a long time just among teams and so nothing's really been pulled off yet but you know as we get closer here and uh, there'll be just uh, you know a handful of weeks until the trade deadline, especially when they come back from this this break. That I, I I'd admit I, I'd be surprised if the Hawks don't do something. It's going to be tricky because there's so many teams in that muddled, mushy mess of mediocrity fighting for playoff spots. There's not a lot of true sellers out there, so there's going to be a lot. You know, might be a premium to pay for for high quality rentals. Uh, if I'm the Blackhawks, yeah, I, I think they've got enough cap space that they can make a hockey trade, add a top nine winger or center if you want. And take on a bad contract to get a recoup that second round draft pick they lost in the Andrew Shaw trade. I think there's ways where you can really maximize this space going forward, and uh, you'd like to see them do that. Um, let's talk about Patrick Kane a little bit. Obviously, hit the milestone last night. Uh, I went out to London uh, on the off night last Friday night from Toronto, a nice two hour drive down the Queen's Highway um, to see his jersey retired. He's, I think, I think you said he's the first London Knight to have his jersey retired after just one season. Um, you know, he's up there with the likes of Brendan Shanahan and Corey Perry and Dino Cicerelli, Daryl Sittler, some heady stuff that he was there. It was fun to, to talk to people about what he was like then, but I kind of want to look to the future. This came up a lot when I was out there. People were asking me, is he the greatest American player of all time? And, you know, you'll hear Mike Madonna and Jeremy Roenick and Joey Mullen and Phil Housley, Chris Chelios, Pat LaFontaine, even if he didn't have his career cut short, um, you know, Brett Hull was born in Canada. We're not counting him. I know he's a dual citizen, but we're not really. He's not. He doesn't identify as an American player. I don't think. Uh, I think already right now, Patrick Kane is the greatest American player of all time. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't get caught up. I, I don't know. I feel like it's strange because I feel like he's uh, like he's going to put in that conversation as one of the greater players of all time, regardless of nationality. You know, like I, I, yeah, I, as an American for sure. And I, I don't think my. Uh, I do kind of my ignorance here where I, my knowledge of the hockey passes and it's great just kind of considering where I can I can't came into hockey. So it's sometimes hard for me to, uh, to weigh where guys are. Um, but 
Yeah, you know, someone asked him last night too about you know being the the first U Blackhawks American to have uh, you know a thousand points, and um, I feel like everything gets put in that that scope sometimes. The qualifiers, yeah, yeah, like it's. Um, I don't know. He, he's going to go down as one of the greatest Blackhawks, certainly. Can and we'll see how this, uh, you know, these last you know five six years go for him. But he, he can make a run at Makita and points, and um, you know, I, I think he will go down as one of the you know the greatest NHL players. And the fact that he's continuing to put up points and uh, play at this level, you know, as he gets in his thirties, and um, you know, I, I don't know how much he cares about defense in some ways as much as he once did, but. Um, when it comes to the offensive side and they're playing him these minutes and you put him with the right players, it certainly ups his production. So I can't see him slowing down yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of defer to you a little bit. I'm sure you can put this in a little bit more perspective about uh, where, where he ranks, and, and, and he certainly sounds like he's, um, yeah, I mean, he's right up there with those Americans. Well, he's the 10th American ever to hit 1,000 points, so it's already a pretty small group, and Chris Chelios is right behind him in that list, and he's a, kind of a world unto himself. By the way, Chris Chelios almost had 3,000 penalty minutes in his career. That's amazing. <laughs> For perspective, Kane has 372. But uh, Kane, Kane's at a, a point. Kajula point. nearly caught him just last night. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's, uh, that was going for a record there. Um, Kane's got 1.05 points per game over his career. He's 13 years into his career now, so obviously the sample size is pretty good. Uh, that's better than Madonna. It's better than Roenick. It's better than Mullen. It's better than Kachuk. Uh, LaFontaine's the only one who's higher than that at 1.17. Um, the, the argument, I think, is Madonna was a much better all-around player than Kane. There's, there's no doubt about that. Madonna was a two-way player. He killed penalties. I mean, hell, he's got... Uh, 30 shorthanded goals in his career. I mean, he was a phenomenal player, and he was an all-around player. But I don't think there's ever been um, uh, a player with the skill set, the the big game acumen, the the knack for for just coming through. I think I, you go through those American lists, and this, you know, I, I know you, you kind of scoff at the idea of breaking people down by nationalities, but this stuff does matter to Patrick Kane. He's he's very it's important to him. His his place in history, his legacy, and especially as an American player. And I think he's already there. I think that if for whatever reason he retired tomorrow, I'd have a hard time taking anyone over him as the best American player of all time. Well, I think the part that's unfortunate is that we haven't had the Olympics and uh, you get Kane and Matthews and, and, you know, the U.S. has had a pretty good run of players here that get those guys together. Because I, I think that's where the nationality stuff matters the most. And you, you sort of, you, you put up, you know, you put up your best against your best and, and they all go at it. And um, even at the World Cup was, was fun, but you had a lot of the U.S.'s best players were, were playing for that uh, the Young Guns team. And um, I think that's where you, you miss some of this, where it's... Um, it, it was more fun to have these conversations when they were playing each other, you know, pretty regularly. And, and, and you, you talked about a little bit more about country. And um, I just I feel like those conversations, uh, yeah, it kind of evolved in this a little bit more, too, where you, you have guys playing against, you know, other countries and stuff. So I, I feel like that's where we're, we're missing out is, um, you know, we've seen it at the World Championships a little bit with the Blackhawks struggles the last few years. Kane's played in the Worlds a little bit more, and the U.S. have benefited from that. But they have that uh, that grand scope where the best players they can play against the best players. We we haven't uh, we haven't seen that in uh, I don't know, I guess it'll be two Olympics ago. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I think they'll be at the next one. I hope they'll be at the next one because it's still my favorite thing. Covering that 2014 Sochi, that's one of the highlights of my career. It's so cool to see, and the players they they take it so seriously. And that's what you want to see, the best on best where they really care and they're really trying. 
Where the uh, where are the future Winter Olympics at? You know, I think the next one's in uh, Beijing, which is why I think the, the the NHL will 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 let it happen because that's a market they're desperately trying to tap, unlike South Korea. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I, well, will we, will we have to fight for that to decide who goes? I don't think either of us will be high on the list. We have nine thousand hockey writers. I don't think we're on <laughs> that higher priority, unfortunately. Um, uh, so, so all right. So you're not a big history guy. You don't want to talk about the. Oh, I got I got into it on Twitter about Alex Ovechkin after he. Uh, um, scored a 690th goal, and whether he's the greatest NHL goal scorer of all time, and uh, I tend to think he is just because of the era. It's so much harder to score now. I mean, you watch clips of the NHL in the 70s and 80s, and it looks like Gumby's in net, and these little skinny guys just flailing around. They don't even do the butterfly. They have no idea how to play goalie. It's crazy. Uh, little tiny skinny pads. Um, what Ovechkin's done is just nothing short of extraordinary. There's just nobody been like him. But, I mean... I, I, my argument was Mike Bossy belongs in the conversation. He averaged over 50 goals a year before his back went out. He retired when he was 30. Uh, Gretzky's <laughs> all, the all-time record. Mario Lemieux. I mean, Mario Lemieux might be the most talented player to ever live. And, you know, when I was in Pittsburgh, you know, people got mad when you said Wayne Gretzky was better than Mario Lemieux, and I think that's ridiculous. But that's how good Mario Lemieux was. Uh, I, I, the, the eternal argument is, you know, okay, the goalies are so much better and bigger now, so it's harder to score. But... You know, what if you gave Wayne Gretzky the stick that Alex Ovechkin's using, one of these, like, super whippy composite sticks uh, and the training regimens they have now? And, you know, it, it's like comparing errors in baseball. It's so hard to do. Do you think that the technology with sticks – I know you, you kind of get into this stuff with some of the skills guys you talk to – has made that much of a difference to counteract how bigger and better the goalies are? Yeah, I, I think it's both sides have evolved too, right? Like the like the, the athletes are just they're, they're they train year round. They they understand smoking cigarettes and drinking every day, uh, you know, is, isn't the recipe to uh, to success. And uh, Mario so Lemieux just, had a dad bod. When I covered him, I saw him in the locker room. He had he he uh, he had like a paunch, <laughs> and he was um, the best player ever. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think it's both. You know, I I think there's a there's a larger pool of players now, so I, I think the talent level's risen. Um, you know, it's sort of like baseball back in the day when there weren't any, you know, black, Hispanic or anything players, you know, like it's um, not there weren't talented players in Gretzky's time. But I, I think you have an even larger pool of players uh, to pull from and, and it, yeah. it kind of raises the competition level, um, you know, throughout the NHL. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think uh, I, I know they've tried to even loosen up the goalies a little bit and get some more goals. But, um, you know, the rate that the teams are scoring still aren't at what they what they used to be. And. Um, the fact that you can continually put up, you know, you know, 50 goals and uh, do what Ovechkin does, it, it's hard to argue. Where, um, yeah, you know, and, and certainly he's a different type of player than than a Gretzky, or you know, like the fact that um, that he scores goals in the way he does, and everyone knows that he's going to do it that way, and he still does it. it, it it's remarkable. Um, it just tells you how elite that is. You know, um, it's. Um, yeah, I, 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 again, you know, I, again, my knowledge isn't what yours is, but it, it's hard to argue with what what someone's doing today when when they're certainly an outlier, and it's uh, there are are very few players who who've done what Ovechkin does, especially in our era. That um, it really speaks to you know how, how great he is and how prolific he is as a goal scorer. I always love looking at the old stats. Though my favorite stat in any sport is that Wayne Gretzky has the most goals ever scored. And if you took all of them away, he'd still have the most points in NHL history. That's how many assists he had. He was a plus 520 in his career, which is just insane. I mean, Ovechkin's a plus 85. 
I mean, it's plus yeah. 520. Those Oilers teams were so stupidly good. He averaged nearly two points a game for 1,500 games. That's it's crazy. just ridiculous. I mean, there's never been an athlete as dominant in his sport as Gretzky was in hockey. Don't give me Jordan. Don't give me Muhammad Ali. Don't give me Secretariat. Uh, it's freaking Wayne Gretzky, and there's nobody else that even compares. Um, it's it's just it, the, the numbers are just they're fun to look at sometimes because they're just so silly. Um, I wanted to talk about the, the, the numbers. Why is it Jordan wasn't that? But it's. I mean, when you talk about basketball, it's. it's I, I still don't think the conversation. You know, maybe me being from Chicago, I'm a little biased. You're but, biased, as as you are in some ways when we talk about New York and certain things. But um, also, I hate Michael Jordan being from New York. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he ruined my childhood. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard to argue that Jordan doesn't have that place in the NBA too. I don't know. You you can you can name like you could talk about you know, Kareem and Magic and LeBron and Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson There's a, and a Wilt Chamberlain. You can name other people in the conversation. In hockey, you really can't. People want to say Yager. They want to say Lemieux. But the body of work, just it's it, nothing compares to what Wayne Gretzky did. And there's never been anything like it. All right. <laughs> let, let, let's talk. Let, <laughs> I, don't, we, I don't care enough. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to talk about the uh, – the, the the player poll that uh, the athletic put out today that's always fun and you and I have spent like the last six weeks basically doing nothing but asking silly questions of Blackhawks players for the uh, national poll and we'll have our own Blackhawks centric poll which is a lot of fun later this week um, the one that st- stood out to me I think I talked to like nine or ten Blackhawks for this poll and one of our questions was do you pay attention to analytics uh, or advanced stats I think is how he phrased it and I got like seven variations of fuck no. And one guy who says that's stupid, and one guy who says what is that? So it's, I, I I love the disconnected. Like when you talk to baseball players, they are looking at their spin rate as a pitcher, and they're looking at their launch angle, and they're into this stuff. When you talk to hockey players, what's my plus minus? God damn it, that's all I care about. And it's just there's such a disconnect there. There's just I, I guess the difference is there's really no benefit to a player to understand what his numbers are, right? Like it's um, the spin rates and all that stuff. Like it it, it if we could do that with a hockey, you know, like how fast is my one time or how long am I carrying the puck in the zone? Or um, if you had things that specifically could help them in their game, but looking at your course or high danger chances, um, it, it's hard to correct that saying that I don't have a high enough, enough high danger chances or I'm giving up too many. Like you can't, you can't defend any better. Like I, I, I think it's for us. It's, it's uh, the Blackhawks use it. I mean, you can make decisions based on who's on the ice, who's, who's on the team, who you're going to acquire. I, I think all the numbers are still important. I, I think it's still, I mean, I, when you look at why the Blackhawks are one of the better penalty kill teams, they, they addressed it by looking at, uh, they're looking at Carpenter and Mata and, and guys and, they, and going to get those players. And um, I, I think even with Kubalik that, you know, like you sometimes have to try to figure out whether this is going to transfer over. And um, th- there's a bit of a conversion rate you can do with some of the numbers with what he did in, in Switzerland to what he's doing now. And, um, I, I certainly think, as much as the players are anti-analytics, especially against other sports, um, it, it's hard to change them. As it's in the NBA, you can look at those analytics and figure out where you're shooting the ball, and you can make adjustments. It's it, it's a lot harder to do that in hockey, where you just don't have as much control of of uh, of how you can change those analytics. I, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, it is. It's it, it's good when you're doing arbitration and things like that if you have good numbers. Uh, I, I remember Cody Franzen, who was always the flashpoint of this analytics debate because everyone who watched him said he wasn't good, but his numbers were always great. And I asked him whether he thinks about it. He goes, I like him because I have good numbers. 
I think that's really what it comes down to. It's about contracts and things like that. Uh, it, it's useful for us to analyze players, but yeah, I think you make a good point that it's just it's not that great uh, for them. Um, what, what, what was your I favorite thought, I thought rule? Th- well, I was, I was gonna just ask- gonna bring up the rule changes too. Yeah, yeah. What, but- what was your favorite rule change that the player uh, suggested? Well, I, I, and it was something you tweeted about the other day. It was actually one that was told to me was about they they wanted the um, the the power play to 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 be existent regardless of whether they scored on on the penalty or not. Kind of like an and one situation is how it was explained to me. And I know something you tweeted about the other day and had and had some traction. And um, I think it would add another element to it. We're, we're knowing if uh, if you can score. On, on that delayed penalty that you have a chance to go to the power play. I think it seems not that they're not interested now, but there's a little bit more incentive to, uh, uh, yeah, to, to even chase down the puck or, or, or to score a goal on that. Yeah, the, uh, another one I liked uh, was one I've been arguing for a long time is that you shouldn't be allowed to ice the puck on the penalty kill. You shouldn't, you take a penalty, you shouldn't be giving something, you shouldn't get some kind of advantage. And that's basically an advantage, especially like when a team gets a power play late in the game and they're trailing by one and they pull the goalie, it's open season on just firing for the empty net and trying to win the game. It's almost better to be shorthanded in that situation because you can just chuck the puck down the ice. If you get a penalty, you should be penalized. And that means the full two minutes. That means if you score on the delayed penalty, too bad. And that means you can't ice the puck. If you're trying to increase scoring in this league, then make the power plays more powerful. It'll also dissuade, in theory, people from taking stupid stick penalties and the clutching and grabbing that people complain about. I think if you really penalize a player for a penalty, you're going to make the game better in a lot of ways. The uh, Within the poll, the, the number one is remove the puck over the glass penalty, um, which, I, which I get to an extent. I mean, it seems pretty drastic, but you also don't want teams, I guess, just... Yeah, I, don't, I guess you don't want them. Well, every, everyone wants it to be subjective, but every time we make anything subjective in the NHL, it's awful. Yeah. Like, I, I don't like that rule, but I, it's better that it's black and white than if it's like, well, was he trying to do that? Nobody's ever trying to do that. So yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's a better way to do that. You know, I had a lot of guys complaining about offsides reviews and saying that, you know, referees blow everything dead now, even if it's close, because they don't want to be proven wrong by replay, which I thought was interesting. Um, a lot of people want a 10-minute three-on-three overtime, which I think a lot of us have clamoring for. Nobody yeah. likes the shootout. There's not a single I, player I don't understand why the trapezoid uh, – I honestly don't understand why the trapezoid has to be there anymore. I, I, I feel like it would open up things and make things a little bit more interesting. Probably leads to some more goals, but also leads to more, a little bit more creativity amongst the goalies. And um, I remember when I talked to Mike Layden at the end of uh, – when we did that retirement story, and I asked him if he could change one rule, and that was that was the one he'd like, where he just – he thought it would allow the goalie to have some more freedom and, and certainly lead to some more mistakes, but it would it would add to some fun, and um, it just allowed them no boundaries. I got a kick out of all the players uh, making fun of Chicago for having all the outdoor games. Uh, <laughs> we're not the only ones that make those jokes. Uh, I've, I've only played in one. It was fun. you got to ask the guys in Chicago. I like that. <laughs> Too many for Chicago, said a Metro Division player. Uh, I think we all agree with that. Although, who knows? It might be at the Winter Classic in Minnesota next year. Um, uh, what, what's fun is you and I have spent a lot of time now doing a Blackhawk-centric one. I think it's, we're going to run it on Thursday, I believe, so we can talk about it with the next podcast. That, that's good timing. Yes. Um, we, we talked, I think we're at we're almost the whole team. We're getting close to the whole team now working on it. So, you know, asking some fun questions about who's the funniest guy in the room, who's the smartest guy in the room, uh, some hockey, who's the best skater, who's got the best shot, who's the worst dressed. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, look for that uh, over the All-Star break. Um, and uh, I hear Joel Quenville's coming to town tomorrow, <laughs> so we'll have some stuff to write about. 
Yes. Uh, yeah, he's they, they, Florida's got a game today, so we uh, uh, unfortunately won't get uh, Joel won't talk until until the evening, I believe. So, um, but I imagine a lot of players will be asked tomorrow about their memories and thoughts. And uh, you know, I, I, again, I thought I thought Carlton handled the question pretty well last night. And um, I think everyone, even, even when I asked John McDonough this summer, you know, he, he was hoping this moment's huge as much as. Uh, the Blackhawks were ones to dismiss Quinville and, and send him on his way. Uh, you know, I, I think they've always done a good job of recognizing how important these people are. And um, you know, I, you know, as we, as we've seen Sharp and all these people come back, I, I think no one's getting a bigger the reception than Quinville to, will tomorrow. And um, I imagine that uh, that ceremony and then the moment after, but between him and the fans, is going to be pretty pretty special. I I I think there's going to be an actual like the game is going to get delayed. This will be the longest ovation we've ever heard at the United Center. I think they're going to have a hard time dropping the puck because it's going to be after they show that video. I'm sure it'll be at the first TV timeout. That's always when they do these things. I think that ovation is going to be unlike anything we've ever heard at the United Center. Yeah, no, it's uh, it should be a fun night. And in the meantime, go read my story on Joel Quenville. I was down in Florida earlier this month. Uh, I wrote it uh, for last Monday. Go find it and read it, would you? Yes. It's a great piece. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, I think that's enough for now. Uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Uh, we'll see if they won this game. We'll talk about the Joel Quenville return and everything that went along with it, as well as our player poll and more. Uh, until next time, I'm Mark Lazarus. I'm Scott Powers. We'll see you. Won't you let me try?